0: Welcome to the SN Off the Shelf Podcast. I'm Russell Redmond, Senior Editor at Supermarket News. In March, the National Grocers Association called on federal lawmakers and regulators to crack down on so called grocery retailer power buyers. NGA explained in a press video conference that certain big box and online grocery giants, as well as other large chain retailers, engage in anti-competitive behavior that squeezes independent grocers on supply and pricing. NGA said in the conference, as well as in an accompanying white paper, that dominant players such as Walmart, Amazon, Costco, Target, and Dollar General, among others, are using their scale to command more favorable supply terms, lower pricing, special package sizes, and first call on high-demand items from suppliers. The disparity came to the fore during the COVID-19 pandemic when big retailers pushed small food retailers to the back of the line in procuring products and short supply. With us today to explain this competitive imbalance is David Smith, president and CEO of Associated Wholesale Grocers, the nation's largest food wholesale cooperative for independent grocers. Kansas City, Kansas-based AWG encompasses about 1,100 family-owned companies with approximately 3,000 community supermarkets. Its member retail sales total about $22 billion annually, which would rank the aggregate operation as the 6th or 7th largest grocery retailer, according to Smith, who has served as AWG's CEO since December 2015. Smith participated in the NGA video conference and provided some key insights on this unlevel playing field. Thanks for joining us today, David.
1: Thank you for having me, Russell.
0: Well, uh, before we launch into the discussion, can you provide an overview of the competitive imbalance that's been engendered by these big box and online grocery retail power buyers?
1: Absolutely. The grocery industry, as your um, magazine reports, is over a trillion dollars, and of that the top players such as Walmart uh is driving about 300 billion of their 514 billion in sales from grocery Kroger at about 121 billion Amazon which they don't break out their grocery sales but we would estimate it about 70 billion today Albertsons at 61 and Ahold Delhaize at 44 those companies comprise about 60% of the entire industry sales in just those top 5 So it is imbalanced when you look at the proportion of sales Mm -hmm. controlled at the top of the list. And a competitive imbalance, as you called it, comes into play when suppliers' livelihood can be threatened by the Mm loss or potential loss of one of these key customers' business. Under the threat of losing business from the dominant power players, which in some cases could be 35 to 45 percent of those suppliers' total sales, in, in what is a razor thin margin business as we all know yes. those suppliers are often forced to comply with big retailers demands or face crashing stock prices or worse yet closures so when they're squeezed the outcomes are manifested in a variety of ways Russell those include pr- product price and promotion um, issues and but ultimately, They will lead to less competition, higher prices, and less availability and access to fresh, healthy, and affordable foods, I believe. Mm
0: -hmm. How has the uh, COVID-19 pandemic affected competition on the grocery retail playing field? Was this situation markedly different than before the crisis?
1: You know, I, I'm not sure that it's really changed it other than magnified it. I think mm-hmm. um, the retail sales of members for our company increased about 17% last year, mm-hmm. year over year. And the vast majority of grocers experienced higher sales. From there, uh, there was a, a lot of, of publicity, obviously, around supply shortages, which came because we were in an industry that was really only built to be able to soak up two three four or five percent increases your year over year so as supply issues emerged manufacturers begin to curtail the promotional allowances deals and specials that were a routine part of of our business and those deals and allowances were funded by specific case rate accruals that we Mm -hmm. earn through our purchases and those end up You know, funding the special pricing and ad specials and so on and so forth that consumers see online and in the store. But during COVID, manufacturers didn't really want to promote or attempt to try to sell more products that were already in short supply. So consumers missed out on special pricing and that affected their pocketbook. So due to that curtailment of deals, retailers were deprived of the use of the promotional funds they had earned and so were customers. But The Arkansas-based power player that we spoke about earlier, Mm -hmm. they really don't work off of that same industry standard accrual and promotional spend basis. They require the manufacturers to provide them with an everyday low-cost net pricing scheme. And their Mm -hmm. pricing in 2020 didn't really change uh, along with the others. So while the vast majority of merchants had a a higher shelf price to having fewer deals, mm-hmm. that retailer maintained their lower price. The issue of product also came into play, as you mentioned in your intro, As manufacturers couldn't produce all the quantities that retailers needed. They placed allocations and restrictions on us. And without providing us the visibility of how much they were producing, we were just being told that we're receiving our fair share without being able to, to hold ourselves or, or them accountable i spent months last year receiving photos from retailers of their shelf sections and at the same time they would go across the street to one of these big box retailers and they would see products by the pallet of the same things that they were out of Mm -hmm. and sanitizers and disinfecting wipes paper towels toilet tissue list goes on but when we asked the suppliers they said things like well those are alternate industries and they support healthcare workers on the front line, which we want to keep safe. Well, I guess they really didn't think that any healthcare workers uh, shopped in independent supermarkets. Sure. Then in the fall, we saw uh, when inbound supply was running about 85% from the suppliers that that Arkansas based company issued an on time and in full mandate requiring suppliers to be 98% on time and a service level of 98%, or else pay the retailer 3% of the amounts outside those requirements, 3%. Now, that's in an industry where we have an average net profit less than 2 Right. And let's think about that. that. The retailer that sells about 28% of all the groceries in the U.S. requires their suppliers to provide them a 98% service level, when the industry, the manufacturer industry, is only providing 85%. So you can see how that shifts the supply of product. Another great example happened last year when we saw, really, the nation's only canning supply company send out a letter to companies like ours saying that they couldn't meet the demand because of the tremendous increase in, in home canning, which we understood. Uh, they said that they were only going to supply the top six retailers and even listed those retailers on their website. Many of our stores are in rural areas, and it was 40 or 50 miles to the nearest store that shopped them. Of course, that company thought better of their decision and changed their mind later, but that was just an example that where it's symbolic of of this overall, um, these decisions that they're being coerced into making.
0: Right, and the the suppliers, I guess, just out of fear of losing such big chunks of their business have to comply that's right Mm -hmm. so um can you talk a little bit more about uh the impact on uh, awg and its members and maybe some more examples of how the playing field's been tilted against independence
1: You know, we're a member-owned cooperative, as you said earlier, Russ, and we supply the family uh, retail grocers, and uh, we provide our profits back to them so that they're able to compete. And that's the reason our company was really founded about 96 years ago. It was to be able to compete against the larger chains that came into play. So that's something that's not new to us. Our members compete favorably, because they're they're really good at localizing their assortment they provide great service they provide fresh in-store cut meats instead of it going through a, some sort of a production factory and they offer customers not only what they need but oftentimes they're providing unique items that customers want that is is unique in the market and they're very good at that but they also are unwilling to really compromise On products and prices and promotions just because other larger retailers have greater leverage with our collective membership size as you mentioned earlier uh, we've done what we need to do to be able to buy in those brackets all of our warehousing facilities operate well over a billion dollars at each one of them uh, per year in purchases and so we're buying in the best brackets but that's not enough. Those other companies that are multiples of our sizes and sales, uh, they obtain access to products and prices, promotions that were never offered. But the the difference um, that we would love to see is in the transparency and accountability. I remember back in the 70s, whenever I was growing up in our grocery stores, there we did have a clear understanding of economies of scale in right. the brackets. Suppliers provided us... Uh, you know, a price for a case, a, a price if we bought by the pallet, uh, a, a price if we bought a mixed full truck of those products and full truckloads and multiples of that. And so we knew what we needed to do to hit those levels of performance and mm-hmm. obtain the best cost. And that, that was the, 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 idea of how our co-ops were formed. We, we grouped together retailers to be able to perform at the higher levels to be able to, to compete. But those days are gone. The power players now dominate the industry, and there's really no point of reference for the real economies of scale and levels of performance. Those are hidden. And those they use other terms like classes of trade uh, and partnership agreements that, that we don't even know what we could do in order to be able to achieve those same uh, levels. We continue to grow and prosper as a company and, and our members do as well, but the pool of independent grocers is declining. And that's detrimental to the communities and our economies and really to the families. Mm-hmm. The, the local grocer is a backbone and we believe that as goes those uh, grocers, so does small communities. When those grocers leave, what's, you know, referred to as food deserts, which has been right. written about, emerge and those small towns begin to fall apart. And our government now is spending billions every year trying to encourage businesses to reenter these food deserts. But, you know, they're really trying to treat the symptom instead of the root cause. Our most vulnerable population and the most financially challenged is affected the most, Mm -hmm. causing food insecurity and poor diet, and they need access to fresh, healthy, and affordable food. And power buyers are picking and choosing the areas that they want to go into where they have the population and the mass. And it drives those small towns out. And so we believe that it would be far better uh, to uh, to work on the root cause, which is this inequality, instead of trying to go back in and fix those symptoms after it's over with. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. While you uh, talked about the kind of the awkward situation that uh, some of the the suppliers have been in in relation to these power buyers, how how did they try and juggle the needs of both the large and the small retailers during the pandemic? Or maybe they didn't. Maybe they just went. They just had to go where the business was.
1: Yeah, Russ. The primary victims, really, of what we're talking about are the manufacturers and suppliers. They have not brought this upon themselves. Power players really have overplayed their hand, and the concessions they now demand are far beyond the economies of scale afforded by volume that they bring. As we know in business, incremental revenue on a fixed cost basis produces economies of scale and reduces cost to serve and provides efficiencies. We all know that. It's clear. But when the capacity is exceeded... More fixed costs are required and mm-hmm. added and the, and the economies of scale are met head on by the law of diminishing return and mm-hmm. the cost to serve increases. And so as those companies have scaled up and scaled up to meet that supply, there's no longer these incredible economies of scale that allows them to be able to be, uh, you know, profitable on supplying them. It's exceeded that, and that's what's happened, and there's no protection for the manufacturer and supplier, and bucking the system to stand up to these largest retailers is... In suicide, they must improve profitability on the balance of their business, remain viable. So they have, to, they have to work through and be able to balance it out so that they can maintain viability and profitability themselves. So it's really kind of a reverse Robin Hood cycle right. that, that happens uh, when, when they have to, to rebalance their business and their promotional spending and their cost in order to be able to make it. As far as meeting the needs, I believe suppliers have done what they can given the demands, but they're
0: in an untenable spot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess it, to, to meet the terms demanded by the power buyers, uh, they have to make it up somewhere else, is what you're saying, basically, right? Yes,
1: sir. A- absolutely.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, well, you mentioned already, we talked about the idea of economies of scale. Um, what, what would you say about the argument that the, the power buyers are getting these terms so they could pass off, on lower costs to the consumers, I mean, I know that's probably been given as a "quote unquote" justification for some of their practices. Uh, what do you think of that argument?
1: Oh yeah, it, 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 certainly, and I do understand that, um, and, and that's a—I I would say that that is the—you uh, know—one of the primary foundations of the reason that it, it goes—you uh, know has gone about for years. Uh, without being uh it, being tested it's the theory that there's the consumer welfare has not been affected that the consumer benefits by the lower cost the issue the issue is that isn't really the end of the story russ as you as you know um, these retailers none of them none of these power players have the same retails throughout the united states even though they're paying the same cost They have different pricing zones, and the reason they have different pricing zones is they can harvest in areas where they have put others out of business. So as they're able to leverage the manufacturer Mm -hmm. to get better cost, they use that in areas in order to drive out competitive activity. Once competition is eliminated, guess what? The pricing pressure is no longer on them, so they can raise those retails and they can harvest in order to produce income to go to other areas to drive out competition. Mm-hmm. Now, so while in the short run, the consumer may have benefited by the predatory pricing and the lower prices that they received, but at the end of the road, there is a reckoning. And that is when the competition is removed, what happens to the prices then? Right. And that is the sustainable part. That's the, that's the end game. And you you can go throughout the Midwest where we're at, and you can find towns to where all is gone, to where all of the other competitive retailers have left, and they only have one choice. And when you go to those places, are the retail's the same as they are in the competitive markets? Absolutely not. So the 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 argument is that these economies of scale are good, and that if they're able to bring these forward, but for the manufacturer. And the supplier, the economies of scale don't work out because they have exceeded where they're able to leverage against fixed cost. Because right. those manufacturers have had to continue to add capacity on top of capacity, and that has that has invoked the law of diminishing return. And furthermore, the consumer is damaged when the competition is gone, which will ultimately happen.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, why have these uh, anti-competitive practices against the smaller grocers been allowed to persist? Why, why haven't lawmakers and regulatory agencies stepped in to address this? Yeah,
1: you know, while I don't know the answer to that question, <laughs> that's the big question, A couple of items that I that I can, I guess, bring forth is theories. Right. The first is a lack of interest in pursuing the issue on the part of the FTC. Uh, the DOJ and state AG's offices mm-hmm. and the burden on the effective retailers and the related cost and complexity for those individual companies to file an antitrust lawsuit in the federal court. That, that's just, it's very difficult. Uh, these, these special pricing arrangements are hard to figure out. Mm-hmm. We're in an industry, uh, Russell, that, that it's, it's routine that, the, the price that things are sold for don't necessarily align with what the real cost of the product is. Right. Every year, we buy turkeys for a dollar a pound, and we sell them for 49 cents a pound for Thanksgiving. So irrational pricing has been a part of the grocery business for as long as I've been <laughs> in it. And when you, when you have things that don't correlate between what the buying cost is in the retails, how are you able to, are you able to reconcile that, right? Mm-hmm. So it's it's difficult to be able to prove that someone gets something that that broke an antitrust law, or is that just you know better pricing that they wanted to give their customers to come in and, and shop? Also, there's the consumer welfare standard, um, and obviously I, I, I can't speak to the law, but the, it's it, that the consumer welfare standard is generally taught and followed in antitrust cases. It's a principle that antitrust laws should serve consumer interest and protect competition rather than protect competitors. And, and you know, um, certainly on the surface, it, it, that makes sense. The line of thinking is that if a competitor provides lower prices and greater access to products and consumers are happy to take it, it is a natural consequence for smaller retailers or those that are unable to obtain those same type of advantages to go out of business. And this is acceptable by the antitrust law, the theory. The flaw in that thinking is one, of the, is one that it advantages um, can and will be per, uh, perpetuated for the benefit of the consumer, as I mentioned earlier. This idea that when these competitors come in and everybody else goes out, the, then they're going to continue to keep the same aggressive pricing after they have no competitors. But we know that's a flawed theory. Because we know that that flies in the face of history and fact. Uh, because they do, as they've eliminated competitors, they raise those, uh, right. raise the retails.
0: Right, right. Um, what what can be done to remedy this uh, situation in the grocery arena? What types of actions do you think that would be most effective?
1: You know, I, I know that uh, the National Grocers Association and. In their efforts and I, your listeners, I would urge them all to go to nationalgrocers.org uh, forward slash antitrust to learn more and what they're recommending. Our, our position is to really to shine a light on uh, the situation. It It is that um, you know, this is an unfair situation and it, it is something that needs to be Uh, needs to be looked into. I I, I believe that one of the best natural disinfectants uh, is light. And I believe that as we shine light on this problem, I believe that it can be cleaned up. And I believe that it it can be better for the manufacturers and suppliers because they're certainly being abused. And it can certainly be better for the consumers because it'll allow them to continue to have community supermarkets uh, in, throughout the nation and not just the, the markets where that the large retailers want to pick and choose where they want to operate. Mm-hmm. So I think that there's, there's good things that can come from it because monopolies create vulnerabilities for consumers and our economy and our country. And I, I believe that, uh, the public and lawmakers, uh, I believe that they should give this the same type of interest. Uh, that's really being given to big tech uh, and other things that, that's really in the news these days, Russell.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, how aware are consumers of this? Well, I'll use NGA's term this economic discrimination against the smaller grocers. D- to con- can consumers bring any pr- pressure to bear on lawmakers to correct this situation and protect their, their local independent grocer?
1: I think that I think Russell that consumers are the most important, um, the most important thing here because it's it's all about the consumer having access, having local grocers, not having our country turn into a monolithic group of chain grocers is something that's important to communities and in families, and I believe that. I believe the nation recognized that through COVID. I believe that the, the local grocer, uh, was appreciated and really recognized for the, the value they brought to the communities and small towns throughout the nation. And I, and I believe that with that shining a light on it, I believe that our lawmakers and, and others, uh, and, and with existing, um, laws that are on the books can be used to be able to bring about um, more fairness, and we need to put the power back in the hands of suppliers so that they are able to say no uh, mm-hmm. to the squeeze uh, that these power buyers bring on, and that they can truly uh, start to, to be more performance-based and have, have fair ways that they do business and transparent where if, if we bring forth performance and efficiencies and how we buy from them and how we sell their their products, that they're able to, to pass on savings commensurate with mm-hmm. uh, with those values instead of pressures that are being placed on them just to, for them to be able to continue to survive. So that, that would be my hope.
0: All right. That's all the, the questions I have. David, thanks very much for For participating and sharing your insights.
1: Thanks for having me.